Welcome. I'm Lori Lee Vinstock, host of a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. This is my three-part podcast series in my MDMA experience. This includes what I did to prep with my therapist, Heather Smith. And in my next episode, I will talk to Deborah Servetnik, a transformational coach who specializes in psychedelic integration to talk about my day of experience. And my final episode in the series will end with Heather Smith to discuss my integration post-MDMA treatment. In my journey to healing, I have been privileged enough to explore the many treatment modalities out there, including MDMA-assisted therapy. In my search for more information about MDMA-assisted therapy, I realized internal family systems or IFS therapy was effective in preparation of the treatment as well as integration afterwards. This research led me to IFS and psychedelic integrative therapist, Heather Smith, who is my trauma therapist, and she joins me today. Heather, thank you so much for coming on a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. Well, what led you to become not only an IFS therapist, but a psychedelic integrative therapist? Yeah, so actually what led me to it all was really seeking a model of therapy that really helped people truly heal. Um, When I first became particularly a private practice therapist, I really felt a huge responsibility to help people find an authentic way to heal themselves. And talk therapy and a lot of the other modalities that I was finding out there were not cutting it for me. I felt like I needed something more substantial to truly help people transform, which led me, you know, on a path of searching for something that that I felt like was really effective. And so when I found IFS initially, that was the first thing I found. Um, that really started to resonate and hit home. And I could see where people really truly were finding transformation through that. So first I found IFS and then it was actually through IFS that I then learned about the psychedelic research that was being done with PTSD. Um, And so it was like one thing led to the other and it was really clear how IFS and the parts work that it does really fit like a glove to the work that was being done with psychedelic um, therapy. So... Well, what is IFS therapy for people who don't know what that is? Sure. Yeah. So IFS stands for internal family systems therapy, and it's a model of therapy that works with this concept that we're all, um, each human is a combination of a multiple parts of that kind of a conglomerate of a whole bunch of things that makes us who we are. Um, and so we might, for example, have angry parts or, um, parts that work out or parts of us that, you know, want to eat cake or, you know, we can have all sorts of different parts of ourselves that um, can show up in all sorts of different situations. And um, there can also be parts of ourselves that are very traumatized, right? And so those are the types of parts that we are um, kind of contending with in life. And so a lot of times when people experience things like depression or suicidality or um, self-harm or all sorts of different symptoms, we can actually look at those different symptoms as actual parts of who we are. So it gives us a context of looking at our mental health in a way that's a little bit more um, tangible in a way in which we can work with it, that um, we can kind of move through it in a different way that for most people, they find it a lot more helpful to work through that kind of context of seeing things as parts. Um, so yeah, so, so sometimes the interchange of IFS therapy is also called parts work. Um, some people might be familiar with like the idea of working with inner children or um, that type of thing. And so this is similar to that in that we work with these different sorts of um, 
elements of who we are in that way. Yeah, because I really feel like we are different parts. And it's funny, you know, in working with you, Mm -hmm. I was able to realize that, you know, these angry parts, there's there's a root to these angry parts. And a lot of it came from childhood. Mm -hmm. And I, I, even though I'm kind of reacting to something my husband may say, or my children may say, I realize that it's what they've done probably triggered something in me Mm -hmm. that was similar to something that happened to me as a child. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. So the majority of our parts um, are kind of established throughout childhood. So we both have wounded parts and then we have protective parts and all the protective parts are trying to help us to never feel that wound again. And so all of this essentially gets laid down in the formulation of our, you know, the foundation of our childhood. And so exactly like you just said, um, the things that trigger us as adults are actually things that were created back in childhood that it just touches that pain again. And so that's where we get the reaction from. Um, so we can very easily take what people are experiencing in this present moment as adults and track it back to the original roots of when did you first feel that way um, at six years old or whatever age, right? Um, and work from it from that perspective. And what does it mean to be a psychedelic integrative therapist? I know you mm-hmm. yourself, you do not administer or observe clients who are actually on MDMA. Right, right. So being a psychedelic integration therapist um, specifically means that you help people integrate those experiences that they do choose to have, right? So um, psychedelic therapy for the most part is still not legal yet, um, but doing the therapy around it is, you know, it's something that is happening now and it's it's actually being, tra- therapists are getting trained in it and this different type of thing. Um, so being an integrative psychedelic, integrative therapist includes helping a person, it can include preparation, right? So if somebody comes to me and says, Hey, I've already decided I'm going to do psychedelics with therapeutic intention. I can help prepare a person for that experience by exploring, um, what parts of you want to do this? What parts of you are afraid of doing this? What are your hopes and intentions? Um, what happens if these don't get fulfilled, right? So there's different things you can do for preparation. Um, And then especially afterwards, the integration piece after somebody has a psychedelic experience, um, you're really looking at, most people get this massive download of information through these experiences, Mm -hmm. right? Right. And so it's like, how do you take all of that and figure out how to digest it? Um, And that honestly can be a several weeks to months long, even years for some situations. process where you're really going back and looking at all the different things that came up for you and um, really fine-tuning, like, what did I need to learn there? What was shown to me? What do I need to process? And specifically, IFS goes with this type of integration really well, particularly in MDMA therapy, because MDMA shows people these parts very discreetly. Um, So people might actually um, <laughs> reconnect with being in utero and having a super difficult birth and not being able to merge out of the birth canal, right? Mm. Like this is the kind of information that on a normal basis, like it would be very difficult to reconnect with that kind of information of that traumatic birth. Right. But with the assistance of MDMA, somebody can actually go back and know, whoa, this is the first time I felt like 
my mother resented me for causing her so much pain. <laughs> this is where it all started, yeah. right? Like, so these are the types of things that people come to. Um, and it's super profound because then they can finally connect with why I've always felt like I was a burden, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, oh, that's the origin. So, but then you can work with a part of yourself that felt like I've been a burden to this person for all of my life. And then you can actually work with it. It's like really difficult to heal something if you don't know what it is you're healing. Right. Um, and so these medicines give these give people this opportunity to see what is it that's actually keeping me so blocked and depressed and frustrated and you know all these symptoms that people come to therapy with. The medicine experiences give them the clarity of why, or like what caused this. And then the integration therapy is, okay, now that we know what it was, we have, now we can process it. And that's what the integration therapy does is processes all that was shown to the person um, in their psychedelic experience. You know, after my psychedelic experience, I recall, I I honestly feel like things are clicking more. Like when Mm -hmm. I notice me become reactive, I probably prior to MDMA would not have connected Mm-hmm. you know, or tracked it back or find the root of when I actually felt that. Right. But I started to, and it's been really, it's been a lot of aha moments that I, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm analyzing what, you know, instead of being so reactive, I mean, you know, I still have a lot of work to do, but instead mm-hmm. of being so reactive, I can actually pause. And yeah, when I get to, when I understand what's actually happening, mm-hmm. I could, I can kind of forgive myself and, you know, offer my apologies yeah. to my husband or, uh-huh. you know, my children. And so I feel like that is helpful. Yeah. That's actually a really common experience. You know, um, a lot of people report this ability to slow down and, and to connect the dots, right? It's like the perception somehow becomes a lot more clear. Um, I would actually say that's one of the most common things I hear people reporting from doing MDMA, especially is just this newfound clarity of being able to see patterns, um, dynamics, like cycles that you might keep going through. Um, and this just seems to get really clear for people once they begin using these medicines with this sort of intentional way of, of healing themselves. Yeah. You know, I know there are a lot of different psychedelics. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's psilocybin, you know, magic mushrooms, LSD. Right. Um being used with the intention of people healing themselves for personal mm-hmm. transformation and all of that. What is your perspective on MDMA versus other psychedelic options in conjunction with therapy? Yeah, great question. So I'm slightly, um, what should I say, in favor of MDMA. And I think it's simply because it was the first thing I was introduced to, specifically mm-hmm. through that IFS training where I originally learned about this research being done. It was all about MDMA. Um, and so that was kind of my first entry into this world of psychedelics and um, using them for these healing intentions. And so I'm also affiliated with MAPS, um, and that's the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. And they're primarily looking at MDMA for working with PTSD. So for me as a therapist, um, I'm super um, in favor of MDMA for the sake of how well it goes with IFS. So it kind of fits in the wheelhouse that I've already been working in. Mm -hmm. So that's why for me, I'm a huge proponent of that for therapy. Um, however, psilocybin, LSD, a lot of other medicines are super productive in people's healing journeys. So by no means, I don't think that anything is better than another. Um, 
but I do see where MDMA and IFS parts work go well together. Um, specifically, I feel like MDMA kind of helps people to work with their present life. Like in this lifetime, these are the relationships I've had. These are the traumas I went through. And MDMA does a really good job of sticking to that and helping people resolve like this current life stuff that they're dealing with. Whereas my sense of psilocybin and LSD and some of the others, I think that they can be a lot more otherworldly, drawing through very cosmic types of experiences, very mystical experiences, very spiritual. Um, it could be a lot more past life oriented or um, beyond death oriented, right? So in a way, I think some of those other classic psychedelics can take people to kind of like beyond just this present moment, what they're trying to resolve in therapy, which can be super productive. I mean, that can be incredibly healing for people. Um, but, you know, if you want to like, I don't know, there's something about MDMA that helps people really stay kind of in focus with this, this present moment lifetime and, and what they're trying to resolve. So. I, someone once described to me that it's a, you know, psilocybin or, or mushrooms can be a very visceral, mm -hmm. aggressive, um, mm -hmm. um, kind of showing kind of healing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I, that's actually a good point. I think that sometimes like mushroom, again, the classic psychedelics, so mushrooms, LSD, um, and the others, they can be more variable, right? So they can kind of, you can have a really profound, beautiful, magical, positive experience with those. And then you, but it could also go the very opposite way. It could be super dark mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, it could be very metaphoric. Sometimes it can be really difficult to like understand what it was trying to show you. Um, and so the integration, I think for those medicines becomes a little bit more complex, maybe complicated at times because it's like, what was that about? Um, you know, and people can, can kind of swirl a little bit and not understanding uh, what their experience was about. So again, that's a little bit where MDMA feels a little bit safer and a little bit more straightforward in terms of therapy and working with it. It's like, you'll understand what it's showing you. Like it's going to, you'll see yourself as a little kid or, you know, something like that. It's very straightforward and like, here it is. Mm -hmm. um, and so the metaphors aren't quite so um, challenging as they might potentially be with some of the other experiences. Um, someone I've spoken to um, who has who who deals with psilocybin was talking about um, potentially using MDMA in conjunction with um, mm -hmm. um, psilocybin, MDMA and psilocybin. Right. Could that be productive? Yeah, you know, I've heard that people find that really productive. Um, I actually know several people who do that. Um, and they really like it. I've had, a, I've heard and read other experiences where they're, you know, people don't like it, where it's, you know, not gone well. Um, but there are some specialists who combine those medicines and they find that, you know, one substance will, you know, they talk about it like being a heart opener. So it brings in like MDMA is a heart opener. It's very loving. It's very safe. It's very, mm -hmm. um, reduces the fear. Right. And then they'll add the psilocybin to kind of give the bigger mystical experience. So there's kind of like qualities of each medicine that when you bring them in together, it kind of gives a more maybe profound experience or something like that. Um, I'm not for or against that. I think, you know, just my experience in um, hearing others' experiences has been that I think each of the substances in and of themselves are completely 
capable of giving a very good, um, you know, healing journey. So, um, yeah, but that's definitely a thing. People definitely mix these things together and make little cocktails. (laughs) So, yeah, well, from your experience of supporting clients who are doing psychedelics, Mm -hmm. um, to support their healing path, um, what do you recommend in terms of preparation? You know, how many sessions do you expect or you're, you know, if, if a client's coming to you and saying, I, I'm, I want to do this and I want to mm-hmm. prepare for it. What do you talk about in preparation for it? Yeah. So I think one of the biggest things in preparation is like really good informed consent. Um, and because these substances aren't legal yet, it's like, where's this informed consent from come from? Like, how do you know what you're really getting into? Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the positions I like to take is to really educate and inform clients about like, if you're going to choose to do this, you really need to have a lot of information of what to expect, how life transformative it can be. Um, you know, I, I tell people once you do this, there's no going back. Mm -hmm. Like it will transform you (laughs) and it'll change the way you think. And, um, it'll open up things in ways that you might not anticipate and you've got to be willing. We don't know what that's going to be. Right. And so we need to be willing to, you need to know that, that it's going to have some, some impact. Right. And, and that you're willing to accept the, I don't want to say consequences, but the result of that, right. Like Mm -hmm. there's going to be something there. And so I think for people to really be very informed is one of the, one of the primary things in preparation. Um, Also in terms of the number of sessions and that sort of thing, um, you know, I would love as a therapist, I would love to see everybody do tons of IFS first <laughs> um, because I think it's really important um, to really know yourself as well as possible before you go into these very deeply transformative experiences with the medicines. The medicines are kind of like um, just working with the highest caliber tool you can possibly get your hands on. And so like before you jump in using the most powerful you know, like weapon or something like that, you need to be highly trained in it. So I guess the metaphor just came to my mind of like military people, like um, snipers, you don't just go out and become a sniper in a day. Like you do tons of training and learning how to use those really large guns and all that kind of stuff. Right. So um, it's like, this is, these are the big guns of therapy. And so people need a lot of training on who am I, how do I relate to myself? And so specifically with IFS therapy, what I think would be most ideal for people is that they would have a chance to work with their own parts and begin to get a sense of what kind of stuff do I have going on inside of me? Like, what are my major defense systems? Like, for example, um, does somebody mostly have a tendency to want to like escape and withdraw Mm -hmm. and run away from things, right? Is that their kind of general tendency of the way that they cope with difficult feelings? Or does this person have a tendency to want to fight and they're constantly going in for the argument or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So these are different ways that parts may come up for a person. Um, And just beginning to get a concept of being able to identify your parts, begin to have a relationship and a working ability to like be with your parts is very helpful prior to going into these medicine experiences, because once you do the medicine, you've got to know how to work with your parts in order to like digest all of that information you got from the, from the medicine. So if ahead of the game, before you ever do medicine, if you can really have a good working 
ability to be with yourself and the parts of yourself that way, then once you do the medicine, you're ready to digest all of that with the help of a therapist kind of integrating with you. Um, so in, you know, for some people that might be six or eight sessions, that would be like a super minimum amount. Hmm. Um, I could see in a super ideal world and a lot of people in their pain don't feel like they have this much time, but you know, people who've been doing maybe IFS therapy for three, four, five, six months would be even more ideal because that would give them plenty of time to really get into the landscape of, of working with parts. Um, so, yeah, I know that I, um, I was interested in, in, in going through with it with maps. I was interested mm -hmm. in, you know, trying attempting it through that, um, through those means, but you're right. Like there are some people who just, they just want, they want to jumpstart their healing. You know, they mm -hmm. know that there's, there's a lot in there to kind of uncover. Um, yeah. that's, that was me. Yep. And, and so, you know, I kind of went, I remember coming to you and saying, you know, I'm, I'm interested in doing this. And, and yeah. you're like, oh, well, I don't feel comfortable doing it until you've had several sessions under, right. under your belt, which, yeah. um, I do appreciate because, you know, working with parts can get really intense. I don't think, mm -hmm. I don't think there's one session I've had with you where I haven't cried, yeah. <laughs> where it's, 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 you know, and I am that person who, who likes to escape, um, you know, mm -hmm. very rarely, but it does happen. I'm also that person who likes to fight. So mm -hmm. I, I, you know, the, I'm, I feel like I'm constantly in, in fight or flight mode. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm yeah. slowly trying to, I'm slowly realizing that and figuring it out, but it does get, intense when we dive deep into the root of all of that because it has been very effective right right and you know I really appreciate what you're saying there because I'd like listeners to know like this is very deep very intense work it's it's like for real work mm -hmm. and um you know one of my fears is that there's a tons of pod podcasts out there on this topic now and a lot of people keep saying, oh, you get like five years of therapy in one day when you do MDMA. And every time I hear that, I just want to like scream. Because <laughs> I'm like, yes, it's really powerful and really amazing. It's definitely helping people. But it gives this misnomer that like it makes it easy. Mm -hmm. And it's not. Like this is the really, really hard work. And it's for people who are really dedicated to doing this the long haul journey. And for people who aren't, you know, integrating and, and kind of doing the deeper work and they're just having these medicine experiences, I think they're really losing out on the full opportunity of, of how much it can be transformative. Um, so I'm a huge proponent of combining the medicine work with the therapy um, and doing the deep work that you're speaking of, right? Like crying every session. It's not <laughs> fun, you know, and no. I'm sure afterwards you feel like you need a three hour nap. Um, yeah. But I, I think you can attest that it's, you're seeing the shifts in your life and um, it's, you know, the long haul is worth it. <laughs> it really so. is. I mean, yes, I felt like I, the day of, there was just so many things that just was revealed to me about myself. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But I don't think I would have been able to make sense of it without the integration you know, mm -hmm. all of these things popping up, all of these different parts popping up, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to know where to even begin if I just said, hey, I'm just going to do MDMA mm -hmm. yeah. and then just hope for the best. Um, I do, right. I do feel like 
being the integration is is the part that's the most important when that's doing right. MDA, M- MDMA. Yeah, yeah, because it's tool, right? And I, um, all of these things are tools, right? And so it's like we, it's all about coming back home to yourself ultimately. So it's not about the MDMA and it's not even about the IFS necessarily. It's about what are these tools doing to help us be reconnected to our very own being mm-hmm. and to resolving, you know, the things that are blocking us or keeping us in a state of wounding or, you know, whatever the thing is that keeps us not feeling good in life. Mm-hmm. It's all about what are the tools that can help us come back home to ourselves and actually feel really, really good. Yeah. And so, um, so I think it's about a focus on self rather than so much the tools that get us there. You're right. You're right. Cause I feel like I, I, I don't think I would have been able to connect the dots as easily without the MDMA right. um, connecting the dots easily. It makes healing easier, but it is really, really hard. Like, you know, we talked about, I cry mm-hmm. every session. And after <laughs> that session, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to function for the rest of the day. Um, yeah. But it is, it's, it, it is a lot of hard work and, and, I, I don't know what I would do if I just decided to just do it off the cuff and not really prepare for it. Mm-hmm. Even with someone, even with someone who is not like, even if I just had a talk therapist, I don't think I, it would, it would even help. Right. Yeah. And I'll, you know, kind of speak to that too. I feel like this is another thing I'm a big proponent of is kind of back to the big, big guns sort of metaphor that I was using earlier. Um, you know, talk therapy is not going to cut it when it comes to doing psychedelic integration work, because psychedelic, I mean, it brings you into altered state of consciousness, first of all. So, you know, you, the therapies that are going to go along with integrating psychedelic work have to be in a similar class of supporting those experiences. And so things like CBT, um, this is my opinion. I think that other people think that CBT might work with psychedelics. I don't think that's true. I feel like psychedelics take you into a space of it's a lot more heart focused and body focus. And mm-hmm. it's really not using this present mind way of thinking. It's almost like getting you out of that way of thinking and getting into different perspectives. Um, and so it's just a completely different way of being uh, when people do psychedelics. And so the therapy needs to support that other way of being. Um, so again, that's, you know, one of the reasons I'm, big proponent of the IFS piece with this is that, and I also remember I heard your podcast with uh, Edward, Eduardo Cortina mm-hmm. recently, really good podcast. Um, and you. he does the body work with um, somatic experiencing. So like these types of therapies help people actually get out of their head and stop thinking, stop figuring it out, trying, you know, using your head so much to do the therapy and you get into your body Mm-hmm. And you get into your experience and you get into your relationships and you get into how it all feels, which is critical to integration. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, I really believe that there's certain therapies that do a much better job of helping to integrate experiences um, over others. So, right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've done talk therapy. I know a lot of people who've done talk therapy for years mm-hmm. and they, you know, even going when I went to treatment, into residential treatment, 
you know, I did talk therapy. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that there were all of these other therapies that right. focused on the body. And even then I was just like, I don't understand how this works. <laughs> and then when I, w- I went to a somatic experiencing lecture and it was like, wow, I mm-hmm. had no clue. And I feel like, you know, I feel like trauma therapy and I feel like the majority of people have dealt with some sort of trauma. Yeah. Um, it should be doing, you know, this type of work. Um, yeah. I've had somatic. I'm like such a, I'm, I'm a huge fan of those, um, those therapies. Yeah. Um, Yeah. They're very specialized. And, you know, I think that we're very new in our understanding of our psychology and, you know, the field of mental health is really developing. And I think with the advent of trauma therapy coming on board has been huge to pushing us forward to really understanding what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, But having a very specialized therapy definitely makes a difference. Super. Super agree with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there are some people who actually say MDMA isn't considered a psychedelic. Do you? That's right. It yeah. is slightly different. So there's classic psychedelics, and then there's kind of these other categories that are similar um, to the classic psychedelics, but they're slightly different. Psychedelic technically is like where you're having this altered state where you're seeing images or experiencing things that that are more like you know, you could see like a tiger with three heads, or you could see multidimensional things like on mushrooms. Whereas MDMA does not give that type of visual or hallucinatory sort of occasion. Um, MDMA more takes you again to kind of like visualizations of like things in your actual life right here, right now. Right. Mm -hmm. It can, you know, some people on MDMA do see metaphoric things, or they might see themselves like riding on a wolf or, flying with an eagle or something like, so you can see some sort of metaphoric or type things with MDMA, but it's not as, I get, I think the correct word would be to say hallucinatory. Um, so there's a difference, but they're pretty similar to the sense that they're typically all kind of lobbed into the same category. Got it. Yeah. There is a stigma around, you know, psychedelic therapy. Mm -hmm. What is that all about? And I'm assuming it's all because it was it's been illegal. But I mean, yeah. as we look to legalize it, how right. do we lift that? Yeah, it's a fear, right? Like, so we've been taught to be afraid of it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that's what it is. Um, so, so basically, what happened back in the '50s, '50s and '60s, psychedelics, especially LSD, was being studied for um, treating all sorts of things. They were using it in couples counseling. Um, and they were really researching it, curious about what the properties of healing were. Um, people were recovering from alcoholism using LSD. Um, in fact, I don't know if you know this, but um, the founders of AA, I think it was two, um, two gentlemen, and one of them was actually using LSD and was able to, to heal his alcoholism through oh, wow. that. Yeah. So, um, so it was being very positively used in research back then, but then it got, you know, but then the recreational use and, you know, we got into a cultural war in the sixties, right. And, you know, mm-hmm. peace, love, and happiness and fighting the Vietnam war and all sorts of things. I think the drugs got pulled into that arena. And so then there becomes stigmas between, you know, people for and against war and all sorts of things like this. And then into the seventies and eighties, um, it all got shut down, right? So then everything became legal, illegal, um, and went into Schedule One. And so, it, you know, 
people and then the war on drugs, right, came through. So there's all these cultural, societal, political things that happened that really made people afraid of psychedelics. Mm-hmm. And um, interesting, I, interestingly enough, like the CIA was actually using some of these drugs at one point in time um, to see if they could use them as a truth serum to get people, they would drug people and try to see if they could get the truth out of them by, ma- you know, making them high. <laughs> <laughs> so, wow. you know, psychedelics have a really interesting history of all sorts of different ways that they've been used. Um, so, and then, you know, and then when they went schedule one, they were just what it meant. They had no, no useful purpose, even to include even being researched. So yeah. even the research got shot down on the, these medicines for, you know, 30, almost 30 years. Um, so, there's a stigma. And I think that it's been created by multiple different, you know, events in history. And ultimately, it's just fear. And I think reeducating the public to recognize, you know, how they can be used safely, and what the effects of that can be and how, you know, the net positive is so big, mm-hmm. that um, it completely outweighs the negative and that, you know, if we can do this right, it could be a huge, huge advance to our society, not only healing people with PTSD and super suffering, but also, you know, there's a huge, um, I don't know if it's huge, but there's definitely an, uh, an argument for these being used just for everybody, for general wellness. And actually Michael Pollan talks about that book in his book, uh, how to change your mind. He talks about this idea of like, this shouldn't just be for people who are suffering, but just for the common person who feels like they want to improve their life a little bit more by occasionally using a psychedelic, that that could be very profitable. Yeah, because I feel like it, it gives way to free thinking. I, I, I was reading mm-hmm. something about, you know, in the 60s that it was, you know, it was conformity. That was the big thing. They wanted everyone to conform to one norm. And mm-hmm. so free thinking was was just not something that you know fit into that yeah that's too scary (laughs) (laughs) thinking about that makes me it's 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 terrifying (laughs) you're just basically controlling people yeah Um, (laughs) and you know most people deal who deal with addictions they have experienced you know some sort of trauma and in their healing have worked to get sober and I know you were just talking about how um the guy, um, a gentleman who founded AA did mm-hmm. LSD, you know, is it possible to do MDMA or any psychedelic assisted therapy to help with addiction or would mm-hmm. it be considered, you know, falling off the wagon? Yeah. You know, I love that question because I have so many friends in AA and I'm like, oh, this could be so helpful. Right. <laughs> um, but um there is a fear. There's a huge fear for people who've had addiction problems before to fall off the wagon. Right. Mm -hmm. And for them, for a lot of them, I think they feel like any connection with any sort of substance is bad for them. Um, The cool news about that though, is that psychedelics for the most part are very Mm non-addictive and specifically when you're doing it in a therapeutic way, it's again, back to being such hard work that like nobody wants to do this regularly because it's too much work, right? Like it's, it's like, um, 
you don't, you know, there's not like a desire to constantly get high on mushrooms because that would just be like too arduous, Mm -hmm. let alone, they just don't have a very addictive properties, um, chemically. So, so the, the risk for addiction with these is very low. Um, and that's been scientifically proven. And, um, there's actually several psychedelics that actually help heal addictive properties. So specifically Ibogaine is a psychedelic out of Africa and it specifically is very helpful in helping people heal from opiate addiction. Really? Which is super interesting because that's of course an epidemic that we have and um, people can go in for like a weekend of uh, Ibogaine treatment and they can come out of it like free and clear of their opiate uh, addictions. So very powerful not legal in the US. Um, there have been clinics in Mexico that people have been utilizing. Um, and, you know, I think other people have had success with ayahuasca for addiction. Certainly MDMA, I think could be very helpful for people working with addiction. Um, but you know, you're absolutely right that addictions pretty much hands down hundred percent of the time are going to have some sort of trauma beneath them mm-hmm. um, because addiction just becomes a coping mechanism. So when we work with parts, um, we have addictive parts potentially, um, and they're protecting us from feeling the pain of whatever the trauma is. Right. Um, so, so when you heal the actual underlying wound, then you don't have to be addicted anymore. Um, right. rather than just managing the addiction and trying to never drink again, it's like, well, how about we just figure out why you're drinking? Right. I, I absolutely agree with that. And yeah. it, it, and it, it, you know, I, I obviously see that as a a, a coping mechanism, just, you know, even as a teen, you know, when Mm -hmm. I would just kind of self-medicate, didn't know what I was self-medicating with, but I was just like, well, maybe this won't make me feel, won't let me feel this. Um, And, and I know that there are people who, who do deal with addictions and they're just like, I'm, I can't do that. What, Mm -hmm. you know, but, but then they're on, um, you know, antidepressants. Or right. they're on, so I mean, those are considered drugs, and mm-hmm. so I so, I guess it is. It's just that is just judgment, right? That's just stigma around. Yeah. Around that. Well, I think it's fair. You know, there's a lot of. I think there's some fear there, right? Like, well, and so a couple things, are, right? So like, it's the difference between how we look at legal drugs versus illegal drugs. Mm-hmm. So since psychedelics are in the illegal category, we're scared of them because they're illegal. Right. But then if you say something's legal, we instantly think it's safe and okay to use, Mm -hmm. which, you know, that's negotiable. (laughs) There's a lot of legal drugs that are actually super unsafe for us to include alcohol and -hmm. cigarettes, right? Like they're legal, but they sure aren't good for you. Um, So it's funny, um, you know, what we consider safe. Um, So but I do have respect for people who've struggled with addiction that if Mm -hmm. they're, you know, not feeling safe or comfortable using psychedelics for whatever reason, that that just needs to be honored. Um, right. You know, I've, I've had some of my AA friends tell me, um, and these are actual friends, um, have said, I just want you to know, I I would never use that, you know, because they know that I'm a huge proponent of this kind of work. And, you know, some, I have some fellow therapists, you know, who are like, I'm never going to do that kind of therapy, just so you know. It's like, okay, <laughs> okay, that's fine. Um, so, you know, I honor and respect that. And I, 
I haven't personally had addiction issues that have been extreme or severe. So I can't speak from a place of personal experience of knowing what that's like. So I just have to hold space that some, this isn't going to be for everybody. Right. Um, I do believe though, that it could help be helpful for everyone if they were able to, if they were interested and able to be curious about it. Um, I think it could help them, but if they're not interested, that's okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, for me, I was on medications. I was on antidepressants and, um, and I, and I was having really bad side effects with them. Um, you know, um, Mm -hmm. um, but you said that I, you know, you encouraged me to wean off of those medications before the MDMA. Um, can you explain? Sure. Yeah. So that's just, um, well, first I want to say like, I just for the record of like, and consult with your psychiatrist on that. Right. Mm-hmm. So which which, I did. So which yes. you did. Right? <laughs> yeah. So just to, just to clarify that, but, um, cause I'm not a psychiatrist obviously, but the, the intention of that is harm reduction and good preparation is for people to have that information of like, if you're going to do psychedelic journeying, most psychedelics are not, um, it's not good if you take them, if you're on SSRIs. Right. And so people need this information. Like if you're on Prozac or, you know, um, Zoloft or something like that, mm-hmm. that the combination of those two types of drugs, um, it just, it reduces the effect of the MDMA specifically. Um, and so if you want to have, you know, an ultimate experience, you need to kind of clear your body of any inhibitors there. Um, so the other thing about being on, you know, SSRIs and stuff like that is and kind of the difference of using those versus psychedelic therapy is a lot of the SSRIs just keep us coping. They don't actually help us heal anything. So sometimes the SSRIs can be super helpful because they get us stable enough for a time period to be able to do therapy, which can be where they work well together. Mm -hmm. But ultimately SSRIs don't do anything for our system to actually help us like connect with the information that we're actually needing to heal. And that's the difference between SSRIs and actually doing psychedelics is psychedelics actually are revelatory and show you the information that you actually need to work with in order to heal yourself. And then of course, the other beautiful thing about psychedelics is you don't have to take them every single day mm-hmm. like you do an SSRI, right? So right. people who, I know people have been taking SSRIs for 20 plus years and it's like, nothing's changed. <laughs> they right. just keep med managing. Um, and so there's a lot of liberation in feeling like people can get off of these daily medicines and do maybe a series of psychedelic experiences with therapy and then be medication free. Um, and that's very appealing to a lot of people. You know, someone actually asked me, um, psychedelic, is there a way that you can just do psychedelic once and, and it, it, and it works or is it something that needs to be done multiple times? Right. So typically it's not a one and done thing. Um, you know, some people have profound one-time experiences and it's life-changing and that might be all they ever need. Um, and, and that's super fine. Um, but even in the research, so for example, the MAPS protocols that they're doing for MDMA for PTSD, they do a series of three medicine sessions integrated with like 12 sessions of therapy. And so, so even the research is showing us that a series of sessions is typically um, required particularly like with PTSD type work. Um, And honestly, probably outside of research, probably would do more than three sessions. I would imagine that probably 
six or eight sessions might re be required for some people in their deeper trauma. Um, but again, this isn't like use every day. This is like over the course of months and years that people would do six sessions, right? Mm -hmm. that, that could be over the course of two or three years that somebody might do that. So we're not looking at this like compulsive use of, of these medicines. It's really tapered throughout a course of, of processing and integration and therapy. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know, for me, I, I felt like I, I, I did reach profound healing. You know, I kind of went mm -hmm. into it. I think I even told you like, you know, I think I I'm, I'm healed when it comes to the sexual abuse. Like, you know, I feel mm -hmm. like I, I worked on that a lot. I mean, I did, worked on it for 30 straight days and in, in residential <laughs> treatment. Um, yeah. And so I remember thinking, I want to, I want to fix, you know, the feelings of abandonment and worthlessness and neglect and judgment. Yeah. Um, and then I went into my session and, you know, the first thing that came up was the abuse and not necessarily the abuse, but it, mm -hmm. it went back. It was, it was my, ch my father's childhood playing out in my head mm -hmm. and how, you know, his life kind of, everything was kind of normalized. This, this abuse was normalized. Yeah. Um, and then that kind of, but that got me to another level of understanding that I didn't mm -hmm. have prior. Right. You know? And I, and, and we talked about this post my post experience. And I remember mm -hmm. thinking like, you know, I, that's not what I thought I was going to focus on, <laughs> but that was like a big thing. And I think, yeah, I guess deep down inside, I needed to not necessarily for forgive. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk about that word a lot in session, yeah. Yeah. but I, I did have a deeper understanding or at least I, I found, I realized that he just didn't know any better when for mm -hmm. however long I've always said, you know, he should have known better. You, you know, yeah. that this is wrong, right. but I guess when you're living in this space of everything being normalized like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's perspective taking, right? Like, that's what I hear as you say that it's like you, it sounds like the, the medicine gave you a perspective of your father that you had not previously had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And so, like you just said, like your, your level of awareness, your understanding increased to be like, whoa, this is the way my dad grew up. And, yeah. and, um, again, it doesn't make what he did to you right or justified or anything like that, but it's like, okay, well, at least this gives me a context for understanding a little bit of why, what happened happened. Right. Is that right. Yeah. 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 It really did. I, I, you know, I felt even a little compassion. I felt like, man, yeah. I, that really sucks that he actually went through that. I mean, you know, it sucks that I went through what I went through. Um, but I feel like at least now I know, now I'm actually getting the help that I needed right. or I need. Um, I'm curious, did that surprise you to feel compassion for him? It did. Yeah, it did. I felt very, um, because I feel like I was angry before. Like, mm -hmm. like I just, and I, I, I mean, I still don't want this relationship with him, sure. um, but I, I feel like I was angry mm -hmm. prior yeah. um, and, you know, and then post MDMA, I just, I kind of just, I felt bad for him. Like, yeah. you know, at least I'm getting the help that I need. Right. Um, right. And he wasn't able to, yeah. um, and he wasn't able to understand that that was wrong or mm -hmm. for anything like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I kind of called out that word compassion a little bit because I think that that is a very common experience that people have with doing MDMA specifically is that they get these new perspectives and these new levels of understanding that changes the way their heart feels. And again, it's not about letting people off the hook. It's not about any justification or saying that it's okay by any means, but there's something profoundly healing when a person can shift into compassion, Mm -hmm. right? That's liberating to my sense is you can tell me if I'm right on this, but my sense of you is that that's liberating to your own heart to have compassion. Like that's so good for you to be able to feel that. Right. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I'm not holding that anger. I'm not holding that negative energy in yeah. my body. Right. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, and it's nice. Cause I did in the session, you know, I, I touched on a lot of different you know, things with mm-hmm. you know, my mom and, and these feelings of abandonment. And, you know, you and I, we're, we, this is what we're working on now, just the feelings of worthlessness. And I did, you know, mm-hmm. even just in IFS therapy, and I don't think it would have happened if I didn't do the MDMA, you know, the, the feeling that we talked about of, you know, how I felt as an infant. And I think mm-hmm. one, one, you know, one of those things that you were telling me is, you know, I talk about this, you know, I, you know, I, my family always make fun of me for being, makes fun of me for being an ugly baby mm. um, to the point where I started making fun of myself, you know, as I got older, whenever people saw my baby pictures, but, you know, we talked about this and, you know, you said something really interesting about as a baby, you know, you don't know what they're saying, but you feel that energy, mm-hmm. you know, right. Yeah. We take in a lot. I mean, we're taking, we're taking in information from in utero and we're feeling it. And so this is the difference between implicit and explicit memory. So explicit memory are the memories we can actually remember, like vividly have a memory of, but Mm -hmm. the implicit memories start from the very beginning. And it is that energy that we feel of like, are we loved? Are we wanted? You know, like, are, do we belong here? All these different types of feelings. Are we resented? Um, Are people feeling a lot of stress about, us showing up in the world, right? There's all sorts of different things that we're feeling into. And, and we hold that in the body, right? Like Bessel van der Kolk's book, the body holds the score, keeps the score. Mm. It's like the body does keep the score. Right. And um, it's really kind of uncanny how much we're actually holding within our psyche. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I, I didn't even realize that, but when, you know, when I, when I think of these feelings of worthlessness, I remember tapping into this baby and this baby was mm-hmm. me. And yeah. I really don't know if I would have been able to go there, you mm-hmm. know, uh, uh, you know, prior to the MDMA. So yeah, I, I, I did. I mean, that was a really tough session, but it was, it was really eye opening. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like you're saying like you're, it feels like what, one of the things MDMA did for you is like opened you up to connect with some of those deeper things more easily, like mm-hmm. a, the part of you that it, when you're an infant feeling these ways. Yeah. A hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. That's uh, super know, cool. Yeah. And, and we, we've talked about the theory of healing, you know, can mm-hmm. you actually, can you explain what that actually is? Yeah. So, um, so, you know, I think I started the podcast talking about like my endeavor to find out how do people heal. Mm-hmm. And so, it's kind of been this working theory for me to figure out myself, right. I'm sure that there's 
you know, books written about this out there, but it's like, I've been on my own mission to, to discover like, well, how do people heal? How do people transform? And I think in a similar vein of how people actually get traumatized is also the same ingredients for how people heal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the way that people get traumatized is through, uh, you know, an experience through which people make meaning and they come in and it, and it entails some sort of relationship between themselves and other people or themselves and themselves, how they feel about themselves. Um, so the ingredients are like relationship experience and the meaning making. And so for example, in a trauma, like where you were just speaking of your example about being picked on for being an ugly baby, right? So your experience is feeling the energy of being picked on the relationship becomes, you know, not feeling loved or valued by your parents who are picking on you. Right. And then, um, your meaning of it is, you know, whatever I'm not worth worth while or something like that. Right? right. So, so these, these different things come into this, this process. And so then the process of healing is going back into that experience of that. Right. So in parts work, when we do IFS, we come into a relationship with our part. So do you mind if I use your experience? Absolutely. Of the baby piece. So, yeah. right. So in our work together, I help you to come back into relationship with the baby part where you have that compassion towards that part of yourself of like feeling the compassion towards the baby of like, oh my goodness, I am so sorry you didn't feel like you were loved for who you are, that you were being picked on for being whatever they you know claimed you to be. And so we bring you back into relationship to that part and we help you have a new experience, right? So instead of the experience of being picked on, you get to have an experience of reconnection to the baby Mm-hmm. An experience of letting the baby feel that you love and care about it. Um, even a corrective experience. For example, we can do things, something called a do-over where you redo the scene where, you know, you as an adult could step into this space and be like, let your parents know, like, that's not okay to talk to the baby like that. <laughs> yeah. Right. And kind of like be the advocate for the baby that the baby needed back then. Um, so there's different ways to, to reorient the experience of that for, to have a healing moment right? Mm -hmm. Then we get to unburden and release kind of these, these beliefs that we came to have as a result of being picked on. Like, it's not that I was unworthy. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with this baby. She was totally perfect. Right. And then being able to pull in the qualities that that baby would have rather felt, which was love and safe and comfortable and cherished. right? Right. And so, so it's through this corrective experience and really coming into this relationship with our parts that healing happens. Um, and so that can happen through IFS. We can do that through that process. It also happens in the psychedelic experience where I think you had also spoke to this earlier, you know, when you were able to see what it was like for your child, for your father as a child, yeah, that was your experience of seeing that it changed your relationship towards him of feeling more compassionate towards your dad. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, it kind of gave you this new perspective taking of like, oh, I might be able to actually think about this in a little bit of a new way. Right. So, so for me, those are the components that helps healing to happen is, is coming into a relationship, changing your meaning, making of it all. And, um, 
and it's all through this experience of actually viscerally doing it. And, and that kind of goes back to our topic earlier about different therapies and how some therapies work better than others for processing this right. is therapies that give you an actual experiential process of going through it all is very, is, is kind of the key component. You've got to be able to have the experiential piece of processing all this. It's not just a thinking thing that feels really important to how we heal. Wow. Thank you so much. I think this will end our our first part. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, this has been absolutely awesome. I so appreciate your time and I appreciate you sharing some of your own personal experiences just to help people understand what it's like. Um, So just super appreciate getting to be here. Thank you. Well, thank you again. As I mentioned, this is my first part of my three-part series into my psychedelic therapy. Next week, I will be speaking with Deborah Servetnik about the day of experience with MDMA-assisted therapy. And then Heather will be back the following week to discuss how I'm integrating post-MDMA and what progress has been made. For more information, please visit atstpodcast.com. That's the letter A, tstpodcast.com. You can also find Heather's Q&A for Authentic Insider Magazine's March issue. I'm Laura Lee Benstock, and thank you so much for being a part of the conversation. Take care. Oh, 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 oh,